the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know what you will send, whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? And I and your people, is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. You have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Thank you. Thank you, Dean. Did a great job, didn't he? You notice his words and his translation didn't exactly match up here. What translation did you use, Dean? ESV. ESV, and up here is NIV. And do you know which one is best? 
I just can say, yes, they're both good. Uh, Hebrew's best. It was written in Hebrew, so anything that we see in English is um, good, but it's not Hebrew. And uh, I don't read Hebrew myself, and so uh, I'm just thankful that there's knowledgeable people that have put together God's Word so that you and I can read it. Uh, no matter what version it is, that's fine. So uh, JJ isn't here today, and so here I am. Uh, my name's Ted, and it's great to be uh, with you. Today we're going to be talking about presence. Presence. Not present or presence like you get at Christmas, but presence. God's presence. Um, I have a question for you, and it's just something I want you to think on a bit. Here's a question. If you could be granted anything, kind of like that genie in the bottle thing, if you could be granted anything, what would you most want? If you could be granted anything, what would you most want? I'm not going to ask you to share, uh, but I'd like you just to sit with that for a moment. If you could be granted anything, what would you want? Perhaps you were thinking about something dealing with success. Uh, sometimes that, that involves money, influence, status. Perhaps you were thinking about health. Uh, there's a struggle with regard to health, or someone you love is struggling with health, and that would be that wish. Perhaps it's peace. Peace within your family, peace within friends that are feuding, peace with the nations and the world. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it was about wishing that the bridge would be clear full, that the empty seats you see beside you would be full, and the, the offering plate would be full, and everything would be full, and everyone would have a smile, and there would be none of the challenges of life. And maybe it's uh, you're struggling with a sin that you just haven't been able to shake, and you would like that dealt with, or you'd have full and perfect knowledge of the Bible, or, or that you could sing and you could worship like an angel. Um, I've been given this question a lot of thought lately, and I'm convinced that the best thing we could wish for is God's presence. The very best thing we could wish for is God's presence. It's my greatest need. It's daily my greatest need. The intimate presence of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible speaks of his presence being the place of our safety and our security and our strength. So today that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, in fact, in uh, Psalm 16, King David, uh, a man who had much and who lost much, he said this uh, about God. You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. I will find eternal pleasures at your right hand. David knew that God's presence was his greatest need.
So the book of Exodus. Uh, the book of Exodus, the second book in the Old Testament, which speaks about the nation of Israel and their exodus from captivity in Egypt. They've been there for about 400 years. And at the present time, at the end of that time period, they were enslaved by an evil pharaoh. And then God raised up a man, Moses, who was told by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Remember the story? This is the book of Exodus. So uh, Pharaoh resisted. The plagues happened. Finally, the nation of Israel was let go. They went out into the wilderness. They came up to a sea, which was the sea was here. The army of the Egyptians who had changed their mind was there. And God parted the sea. Remember, uh, is it Charleston Heston, in the, the whole parting of the sea thing? Uh, they had crossed the sea. They were entering into the wilderness. They were on their way from slavery to the promised land. Pretty exciting, right? A, 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 an amazing story. Then Moses went up uh, to a mountain, Mount Sinai. And up on this mountain, he met with God. And God, in a miraculous way, gave him the law, the law by which they were to live by. And God gave them instructions in how to build this tabernacle, this, this tent that they were to take with them, and that was going to be the place of God's presence amongst them. And uh, he also received the Ten Commandments at that time. So when God did all this amazing stuff upon Mount Sinai, the people were down waiting for Moses to return. They knew some amazing things were happening on the mount because they could see clouds and lightning and, and the whole bit up there. But it went on and on and on. And in fact, 40 days, Moses and Joshua were up on the mountain. And the people got bored. And the people got anxious. And the people got into mischief, kind of like we can do. And uh, they weren't sure of what, they, what had happened to Moses. And so they decided they needed a new leader. And they not only needed a new leader, but they were out in the wilderness and they were tired of it, so they needed a new plan. And it got to the point where they decided they also needed a new God. So the people went to Aaron, who was serving as the priest, and they gave Aaron all their jewelry and asked, them, uh, asked him to melt all their jewelry down and create a new God for them to worship. And so Aaron did this. And he created a golden calf, which the people started worshiping. Um, it was their new God. And, and this 
worshiping turned into a party that was beyond what it should have been. It should have been a place of mourning, but it was a place of party. And so it was time for Moses and Joshua to come down the mountain, and they heard this racket. They heard this noise, and they thought, oh, no, there's a war going on down there. But when they got down to the, where the people were, they didn't find war, but they found a party. They found a new God. They found people with a very short memory of what God had done for them. And as you can imagine, Moses was livid. And he threw down these stone tablets that God had given him in disgust. And God brought judgment upon the people. And 3,000 people died. And on the tail end of all that that I just told you, we find Exodus chapter 33, which Dean read for us this morning. Uh, I'd just like to remind us of that by reading the first six verses once again. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and you go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. God told them, okay, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. I will... Uh, let you go up and inherit the land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This land that was going to be passed down from generation to generation. He said, you will be able to go and inherit that land. Now, this was good news for them. Because imagine, they had been enslaved and now they were going to have a property, a place to call home. They would no longer be slaves in Egypt, but they would have a place of their own. They wouldn't be impoverished anymore. They'd be going to a land flowing with milk and honey, symbols of prosperity and abundance. They would also have peace. Because God was going to send an angel with them to drive out all of their enemies. So the people of Israel, who were so disobedient at this point, they were going to have peace and prosperity. All the things they wanted. But there was a hitch. 
God said, I will not go there with you. I will give you all this stuff, all these things you've been dreaming about, but I will not there be with you. We will not be there with you. I will give you peace. I will give you prosperity. I will give you property, but I will not be with you. Well, Moses was horrified and defeated to get everything he wanted, but to get it without God? He saw that that was a complete disaster. And I was reading this story and thinking about it. I was thinking, what would my reaction have been? What if I had that offer right now of God saying, I'll give you everything you want. I'll give you all the success. I'll give you all the money. I'll give you all the significance. But it'll be without me. What would be my response? What would be your response? The story tells us that Moses and Israel mourned. They took off the jewelry, they laid it down, they said everything else pales in comparison to God's presence. All the stuff of this world pales in comparison to God's presence. They needed God's presence to go with them. They did not need all this other stuff. They didn't need peace. They didn't need prosperity. They didn't need property. But they realized they did need God. Have you made that realization before God? They wanted God. Sure, they wanted the things that God offered, but not at the expense of God. They had been experiencing God's presence. If you read the story about their journey through the desert, there was, during the day, the cloud was a pillar that would show them where to go. And at night, the flame of God's presence, they loved that. But they had forgotten that for a time. Let me read Exodus 33, 7 through 15. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went to the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrance to the tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend and the 
then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. And Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So Moses was interceding before God, deeply interceding. He was telling God, it's your presence that we want, Lord. It's your presence that we want. He didn't want to go anywhere from where he was, knowing that God was presence. He didn't want to go anywhere that would take him from God's presence. And what Moses uh, acknowledged then and knew then is true today. Nothing else matters if God's presence is not with us. All those successes, the diplomas, the people in your life that are most valuable and loved, uh, success at work, it goes on and on. None of that matters if God is not there with us. God is whom we should want. God's presence is what we need. And there's good reason for this. It tells us that in the 16th verse. Let's see what that says. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses was saying that God's presence is what made them unique. It is what made the people of Israel unique and distinct. Their value was that God's presence with, was with them. In fact, their identity was based upon God's presence. So what makes you, you? What makes the bridge uh, different than any gathering uh, like the Lions Club or the Rotary Club or whatever. Who are we? What, are, what is our identity? What is my, what is your identity? What defines us? Well, there's a million different ways to define ourselves. Uh, we might want to be the smartest or the fastest or the wealthiest. Those are identities. Uh, we want to be worth something. We want to be valuable. We want to have significance. But Moses was saying their significance, their identity 
was found in God's presence. You know, to be honest, we can spend so much energy and money and time and effort and stress trying to create a sense of identity, trying to be known, trying to be noticed, trying to be valuable or important or useful. We hope that somebody will notice me, that I will be known as something worthwhile, somebody worthwhile. We, we want to have something that takes us from being what we feel as being a nobody to a somebody. We want to have value. That's how God has created us. But the good news is we don't have to prove our identity by the things we do or we don't do. The Trinity is our identity. God's presence is our identity. God, the Father who loves us fully. Jesus, the Son, who did what needed to be done so that we might be right through the forgiveness of sin. And the energizing presence of the Holy Spirit that once we become a Jesus follower, isn't just out there, but comes in here. We become the very temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is with us, not just in thought, but he is with us in our depths. That is our identity. We have an identity of being image bearers of our king. Our, our value is in God's presence, because he is near to us. He has created us. We are his children. We are called to be like him. His, his presence through the Holy Spirit comes and makes God's presence with us very real and very known as he transforms us to who he wants us to be. And, and that really comes down to what Moses and the people were saying if they got all the stuff, if they got the promised land, if they had the milk and the honey, if they had the, the victory over all their enemies, that was a hollow victory if it did not include God's presence. We might have the best job that we could ever envision. We might have the perfect family, which I did this because... That's, yeah, thank you. Except mine's real close. We, we might have all the stuff and the toys and the trinkets. But that will leave us empty. Because God has designed us for himself. Pascal, the French, French philosopher from a time ago, said that each of us have a God-shaped vacuum inside of us that only God can fill. We might try to put stuff in there to fill it, but only God can fill that vacuum. And I'm glad that he's created me like that. Otherwise, I could go down paths that would be very destructive.
I uh, spent a couple of days with my son uh, down in Seattle uh, this past week. And uh, we were talking about life and the world and stuff. And he said that um, that there's a lot of emptiness and confusion in this world. Do you agree with that statement? Yeah. And he said to me, I think the reason for that is because people have lost their anchor. They have lost that, that identity place of being known or being firmly held. And I agree with that. And I can tell you this morning that from this ancient story about uh, Moses, that that anchor point is God, God's presence. And if we're trying to find that anchor point somewhere else, we're going to be left floundering. Tim Keller, uh, a pastor and a statesman that I really appreciated, he just died this past year, he, he said this, sin is building your identity place of greatest meaning if sin is if we are building that on anything beside God because we all will center ourselves on something and when we center ourselves on something it becomes our God uh, because we tend to adore it adore it with our heart and it becomes our savior because we lean on it to help us to feel meaningful and significant. And if that thing is anything beside God, if we have any God or savior besides God, it's sin. My hope for myself and for you all in fact, my hope for the world is that we would find our identity, our hope, our being, our dreams and desires, our joy in the presence of God. Because that's a firm place. That's a solid place. That's how I was designed. That's how you were designed. Spending our lives... Accumulating more, or achieving more, or spending more, or uh, striving more, trying to prove our worth, if we do that apart from God, we will be empty. So, how do we grow in our presence with God? Uh, Moses put it down in, in these, this passage, he said two things that he decided to do. He said, number one, he wanted to know God more. And number two, he wanted to see God's glory. Those were the two things that Moses said. I want to know you, God, more, and I want to see your glory. So let's talk about the first. In Exodus 33, 13, 
Moses says, if you are pleased with me, speaking to God, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember this nation is your people. He wanted to know God more. He wanted to know God's ways. He wanted to know what God did and why he did it. He wanted to know how God acted and responded. He wanted to know God's likes and dislikes. He wanted to know God more. He, he wanted to know God more so he would know more of God's presence. Now, the Hebrew word for presence is the word for face, uh, the, the same word. So, uh, and if you think about it, the face, my face and your face is really important. Because when I'm talking with somebody, I'm looking at your face because as I read your face, I can see if you're actually listening or not, or if you have that glazed look. Uh, that's why I'm going to speak to the men for a minute. Uh, men, when your wife's talking to you, it's really good to turn your face to her and listen as opposed to your back to her and watching whatever you're watching at that point in time. Face is really important. Uh, in the face, we can see if a person is happy or sad or worried or stressed out. That's the place you go to, to get to know somebody more. And Moses said, God, I want to know your face. I want to know your face. Now, Moses and the people of Israel could have taken the easy route to the promised land. Uh, following the angel instead of following God, they would have gotten everything they wanted except God. They chose to journey with God's presence instead of the taking the easy way. And you can read the rest of Exodus and beyond, and you can find that that journey was not easy. It was a wilderness journey. And some people never made it to the promised land. It was a place where they had to trust God. But they would wake up in the morning and God would present manna. And he would lead them with the cloud. He would be the fire at night. He would send the, the, the birds to be their meat. But it wasn't an easy journey, but it was a good journey. It was a good journey because it was a journey with God's presence being there. Getting to know God, Moses said, I want to know you, God. For us to say, God, I want to know you more. I want to know your face. Demands that we daily walk in the presence of God. Uh, I'm not going to give you a recipe on what that looks like because I think I would uh, miss so much of something that is so large. Walking with God is just not about reading your Bible and praying, although that's a very important part of it. It's about walking and being conscious of God's presence, listening and getting to know his voice. The voice that speaks down in the depths of who we are. It's about walking and knowing. It's about reading and praying. 
It's about listening and responding. It's about risking and trusting. It's about stopping and waiting. It's about looking and finding. It's even about struggling and doubting. It's about discovering and worshiping, but doing all this with God, leaning into the presence of the Trinity and doing it within the body of the community of Christ. So the first thing he says, God, I want to know you more. And secondly, God, I want to see your glory. In verses 17 and 18 of chapter 33, uh, it says this. And it's not in there. And guess what? Whoever put that in the computer made it. That was me. So I'll just read it for you. Verses 17 and 18. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you. I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. Wow. Moses said, God, I want to know you. And God said, okay. And now he said, I want to know your glory. God's glory, that speaks of his weight, his, his significance, his beauty in the presence of God. He said, God, show me your glory. I was thinking about my prayer life at about this point when I was in this passage. A lot of times my, my prayer falls short of Moses' prayer. Moses said, my prayer, God, is to know you more, and to, my prayer is that you would show me your glory. And many times my prayer is uh, for things, for blessings, for safety, for provision, which is okay, but not if that is more weighty than my prayer is, God, I just want to know you more. Would you show me your glory? Because I need God, not the, just the things that he can provide. Because if my relation with God is just what I can get, I'm turning him into something to consume instead of something to consume me. Now, God responded to Moses saying, uh, if I show you my full glory, you're going to die because you can't handle my full glory. But he said, I'll do this for you. I'll put you in a cleft in a rock and face you the other direction and then I'll pass by you and I don't know how all this worked because God is a spirit but I know in the Old Testament sometimes there was a theophany where he would take the body and uh, this is the mystery but in this case God said I'll pass by 
And I'll let you know when I pass by and you can turn around and see my back because you can handle my back, you can't handle my face. And uh, let me read that passage. I hope I put that one in. Exodus 34, 6 through 9. There we go. It says, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord. Now this is one of those verses that you want to mark or you want to memorize because this is God describing who he is. This is as good as it get and gets in God's word, except Jesus coming and showing who God is. But this, this is weighty stuff. God passes him by Moses and he says, The Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And he was saying this right after all that fiasco that went on. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. The Lord, he said, I have found favor in your eyes. If I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgiveness, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take this as your inheritance. God described himself so that Moses would know him, and Moses got a glimpse of his glory, just a shadow of his glory. And uh, I've seen a shadow of God's glory in Jesus Christ, and I can live with God's glory in the filling of his Holy Spirit, being his temple. But, you know, that's a glimpse. <laughs> One day it's going to be the full deal. God told Moses that he's gracious and he's, he's righteous and his presence would continue with the Israelites. Uh, one day, Jesus is going to return. Yeah. Isn't that going to be great? Jesus is going to return, and he's going to make all things right. Now, I'm right now because I've accepted Christ's forgiveness for my sin, and so I'm right. But I'm still broken. One day, that brokenness is going to be gone when I see Jesus face to face, and he creates a new heaven and a new earth for me to be in his intimate presence forever and ever. And that gets me excited. That is my hope, and that is my glory. And I will know God as much as I can know God for all eternity. And I think part of being with him in his intimate presence for all eternity is I'll know him more and more and more and more and more. And I'll see his glory in his face clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And it'll bring me to a place of worship and enablement to live out God's purpose for me for all eternity.
And none of the stuff of this world can compare to that, to God's presence. So may we as individuals and may we as a community lean into the presence of God, this holy gift he's given us. May we value that intimacy with God and his presence above all else. May may we never be satisfied with good things at the expense of God, the best thing. And we may we know him more. And may we see his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I, <clears throat> I just need to pause and confess my uh, stiff-necked way I can be in searching for things more than searching for you at times. We do confess that... Uh, we have a tendency to wander but I thank you that you say that you're a compassionate God and that you do forgive and you are constantly pursuing us and you are inviting us back and we can know you And we can know the glory of your glory. And you know each one of us here this morning. And you know that place that you need to feel in each of us. And you know what we need. So we just lean into you, giving ourselves more fully to you. saying, God, we want to know you. And God, we want to see your glory, your face. In Jesus' name, amen.